0: The rain held off until we got in church building, amen? If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. I have a very simple message this morning about once saved, we're eternally kept secure. Amen? You know, uh, as a Christian, it's interesting to me, uh, used to be more so Uh, When you're first saved, you get saved, and a lot of people, they begin to discuss, and they begin to uh, argue and fight, and uh, about, talk softly, dear, (laughs) everybody can hear, (laughs) and uh, about if you can lose your salvation, and then what they would do, they'd pull out certain verses to try to show you you could lose your salvation. And that was always a problem. And, you know, being a young Christian, I would study and we'd figure everything out. Titus chapter 3, verse 4 through 7 says this, But after that the kindness and love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. And by the washing of regeneration, and the renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That word hope there has the idea of confidence of eternal life. And it's all because of his grace. Because of God's grace, any of us can be saved today, isn't it? And uh, I know as I look back on my life and I'm just saying, I feel like Paul, I am what I am by the grace of God. If it weren't for the grace of God and his working, never would have happened. And I'm grateful for that. Once saved, is it possible to be lost again? Well, if a person contributes nothing to be saved, doesn't it follow there's nothing they can do to keep themselves saved. That only makes sense to me. We were saved by the work of the Spirit of God, and it was totally by grace. No human work can add to our security. Uh, No work, no deed that we can do can make us lose our salvation either. Some verses people try to use, they try to say Matthew chapter 7 Verse 22, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name have cast out devils and in thy name done many wonderful works. And of course, the context there is very, very important. He's not talking to us, the body of Christ. It's to lost Jews at the end of the tribulation. And the Lord says to them, He says in verse 23, Then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. They say, see, right there. They did things for God, but God says no. But remember, he says, I never knew you. They were never one of his. Okay? But he's talking to the Jews there. Then another verse they'll use is Matthew chapter 12, verse 22. Then was brought unto him one possessed with the devil, blind and dumb, and he healed him, insomuch that the blind and dumb both spake and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Is not this the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow doth uh, not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub the prince... Of the devils. Now that's what the Pharisees did right there. Notice what Christ says in verse 31 32. Wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. And whosoever speaketh the word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him, but whosoever speaketh, Against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. I had a lady write me a note one time. She said, you've sinned against the Holy Ghost because I didn't agree with the charismatic leaning. And she said, you've sinned against the Spirit of God. I'm grateful I knew the scriptures because that would bother any (laughs) individual person But you see, that right there is a dispensational sin concerning Israel's leaders. Now get this, it could only be committed by those living at that time. They, the spiritual leaders of Israel, had blasphemed the Holy Spirit, and especially later on. It means the defiance against the Holy Spirit's working, which at that time was a messianic kingdom sign that the Pharisees should have embraced by faith, but they scandalized it by saying, he did this by the ability of Satan helping him, Beelzebub. Isn't that amazing? They did blaspheme that Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 7 and they were not forgiven as a result of that. Matthew 24, verse 13. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. See, you have to endure. You have to continue, or you'll not be saved. Well, what's he talking about? Verse 14, 15 says this. And this gospel of the kingdom, not the gospel of grace, the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. When you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation, what's that? That's when the Antichrist is in the temple, says he's God. God. That's during the tribulation time. Do you know something? I'm not gonna be here during tribulation. How about you? Huh? We'll be in heaven. So it's not to us whatsoever, it's to the Jewish people here. And uh, it's about making it to the end of the tribulation, remaining faithful. They will be delivered, they will be saved, they will be rescued at Christ's second coming to the earth. It's not to us. It's to Israel. Remember this. When God saved you, he saved you from your past, your present, and your future sin. Once for all time. Amen? You're justified, you're sanctified, you will be glorified one day. But it all took place the moment you put your faith in the gospel. So it's very, very important. Uh, People use these verses, but it was not written to us. It was written to the Jewish people. Another verse they say, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 4. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift, sounds like they're saved, people say and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost. Well, wait a minute. That's not talking about losing salvation. That's talking about those individual people at Pentecost who experienced the Spirit of God coming down from heaven. And they all spoke in languages, right? Right? and they got to taste a little bit of what the new covenant will be about one day. Verse 5 says this, and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come. What is the world to come? That's the kingdom one day. It has nothing to do with you or me. We're the body will be in heaven, Israel will reign on earth. Hello? Amen? So it, they got to taste what that kingdom will be about a little bit. And then verse 6, he says this, If they shall fall away, and to renew them again, and to them, seeing they crucify themselves to the Son of God afresh, and put him to an open shame. If these Jews, If they reject such clear evidence of the work of Christ, the Spirit of God coming down, fulfilled prophecy, if they fall from this truth, they will never, ever have a chance again. And they did that. And those at that time living, they're still in hell today. And they'll never have a chance because they rejected the Spirit of God. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26, people use, For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. But a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. These verses are lost Jews, that's who he's talking to, who had heard the kingdom Messiah truth. If they would not embrace that truth, if they would do and walk away from that truth, all they were doing was inviting the wrath and judgment of God upon themselves. Now, don't miss this, verse 39 of the same context. But we are not of them who draw back under perdition. We believers, Jewish believers, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. He was saying true believers do not draw back. Did you hear that? And that's for the Jews. Jews. You know an apostate does? An apostate, he can look like a believer and sometimes live like a believer and kind of pull the wool over people's eyes. And then later on, you see them leave seemingly the faith. You said, oh, they lost their salvation. No, they were an apostate. They were never saved in the first place. 1 John 2.19 says this here. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not of us. Their leaving proved they were not of them. Huh? Anybody get a hold of that? And then some people said, what about Judas? Judas, he's one of the twelve. He was a treasurer. He was saved, but look how he fell. Let me say it to you, was he saved? I don't believe he was. It states this in John 6, 20. Jesus answered them, Have not I chosen you twelve and one of you is a devil? Huh? Now no devil is going to heaven, right? No devil is a saved person. Isn't that true? And who's that one person? That's Judas. Well, why did God choose him? One, to fulfill prophecy. And two, to fool the devil. That's exactly what he did. It states in John chapter 13, verse 2 and, and supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas, Iscariot. The devil's working in Judas. Luke 22 3 says this Then entered Satan into Judas, surname. Doesn't sound like he's a believer. Sounds like. He's possessed by the devil. But God used him for a purpose, didn't he? Now, we dispensationalists, we know the truth of the scriptures. There's only one way of being saved and saved eternally, and that's believing in the gospel, right? 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1 and following. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand." By which also you are saved if you keep in memory what I preached unto you unless you have believed in vain. In other words, you don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's when you believe in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That is the object of our faith to believe in, is the finished work of Christ. Christ literally took our place. He took our punishment upon his cross. He alone paid the debt we owed for our sins. It's when we put our faith in him and his finished work, we're completely, totally forgiven. We no longer are going to hell because of our sin, but now God guarantees eternal life for us in heaven. Matter of fact, when you get saved, Christ, when we put our faith in him, placed to our account his righteousness, making us always, always accepted in the beloved. Amen? Amen? I'm always accepted in him. I know I'm safe and secure because of God's blood. It washed away all my sins. Because of God's power, we are kept by the power of God. Not how I live, but by the power of God. We're saved because by God's grace, by God's spirit who sealed us, by God's love, that we can never be separated from, and by God's words, it's promises. And God's word is absolutely true. Once saved, always saved. When God begins, he always, always finishes it. Huh? Philippians 1.6 says this, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. If he started you, he will finish you. He's the author and the finisher of our faith, is he not? Titus 1, 2 says this here, in hope of eternal life which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. See, God can't lie. And he says, if you will believe in my son and what he has accomplished for you through his death, burial, and resurrection, I promise you eternal life. That's what he promises us. 1 John 5, 12 says this, He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you. That believe upon the name of the Son of God that you may know you have present possession, eternal life. Amen? I'm not hoping I I might get it. I have it. And if it is eternal, it never stops. If it were, were to cease, it would not be eternal. So the moment you get saved, you have eternal life, and I'm grateful for that. Now, there are a lot of people who say they are saved. Then later, seemingly, they leave or they fall from the Lord. And in actuality, there are many that are not saved in the first place. And I think just because a person says they're saved doesn't mean they're saved. You look at Christendom, and there is a large segment of Christendom itself that do not know Christ in a personal way. And we know that that's a fact. And I think one of the reasons is there's a subtle difference between belief and faith. These two words, belief and faith, they're closely synonymous with each other, but they do have a little difference. And what I mean by that? Well, understanding this, it will help us to know what is required to be saved. First of all, there's saving faith. That originates by hearing the word of God's truth. You know, a person on his own cannot develop biblical faith. Only God's grace works through his word that produces, that causes, saving faith. If the word's not involved, there's no salvation. Romans 10:17 says this. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of god amen i mean the word is there hebrews 11:6 says this here but without faith it is impossible to please him for he that cometh to god must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently or diligently seek him saving faith must be in God's Son and His finished work to please the Father who sent Him. Amen? So there is saving faith. But then there is belief. This is where most settle on. But too often, it's an intellectual, mental assertion, and that alone. You know, the Bible says the demons believe and tremble. We know no demons saved, right? But they believe. And you talk to people and they say, oh, yeah, I believe that. And they're no more saved than a nail. (laughs) You know what I mean? They're just not saved whatsoever. And so let me give you an example of belief. Do you believe you can get on a plane... Fly to Florida. Do you, do you really believe that? That you can get on a plane fly to Florida? Some of you have been there recently. Does your belief actually get you to Florida? Are you in Florida now? You believe you can get on a plane and fly to Florida. Are you in Florida now? And of course the answer is no. Just believing something doesn't accomplish it. Many people believe about Jesus. Hello? They have a mental assent to the fact who Jesus is, whether they've heard it from their parents or grandparents or saw in the Bible one time, went to church somewhere or whatever, They say, oh, yeah, yeah, I know that Jesus, yeah, he came, he died. Example two, you see a bottle of poison. Do you believe if you drink that deadly poison, you would die? Do you truly believe that? Here's poison, deadly poison. Do you believe that if you drink that deadly poison, you would die by believing that are you now dead? Huh? Of course not. Just like when you came in, you saw that chair. You believe that chair would hold you up. Well, some of you, it's questionable, but I'm kidding. You believe that chair is truth on. You 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 saw, you saw that chair, you believed it would hold you up. But believing that did not make you in that chair, did it? You had to make a commitment to that belief to be able to sit down in it. And when you sit down in it, it was true, wasn't it? Just a mental ascent of belief of Jesus Christ, him dying, being buried, rising again, does not do anything. And that is most of Christendom. It's only, don't miss this, it's only when a person goes from mental belief to their heart where they fully trust in Christ and his work it's then that allows the object of their belief, the gospel, to accomplish its purpose. Some way, somehow, it has to transfer from here also to here, to your inner being, your heart, where you fully trust. Amen? Amen? There have been many people say, oh, yeah, I believe Christ. so oh, yeah, yeah. But it never registered that it was for them in their heart. Amen? Romans 10, 9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shall believe, where? In thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Then it says, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. He receives righteousness when he believes with his heart. And with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Have you ever allowed it to go from your brain to your heart? Your most inner being of who you truly are. This thing is real. And it's for me. Have you come to that? It's when a person wholeheartedly unreserving trusts by faith that Jesus Christ is God's son, and on the cross he died for my sin, he was buried, and he rose again for my justification. It was for me he died, personally, it wasn't just believing a fact that he died for people. It's the fact that he did it for me. And that's enough to save me. That's when you receive eternal life. But when this heart faith is unheeded, Hebrews 4.2 says this, "...for unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them..." But the word preached did not profit them not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. They heard it. They knew what was being said, but it didn't register in their heart to have faith. Huh? Understand this. It's only when our belief becomes an act of commitment to faith in Christ and that is when we transform our mental belief into our heart belief and that is saving faith from our head to our heart. The Bible tells us the gospel message. When we put that belief into action by putting our total, absolute, unconditional faith in Christ and his work to save me as an individual person. It's when I do that, that's when I'm saved. And you know, when I get saved, the Bible says I have eternal life. And so that means I have security. That means I'm safe in Christ. But I'm I'm thinking about it. And I remember I came home one time, Kara and I had been fighting. She was hard to live with. <laughs> I'm kidding. You know better than that, don't you? But I, I remember I came home, there's a preacher sitting on my couch. Last person I'd ever want to see. And I I remember he said, Well, Jim, what you need, you need the Lord, whatever. And he showed me some verses in the Bible. And he said, Just repeat this prayer. And I did. And he left. And Karen and I, we made up, of course. And you begin to conform to what your church says. You try to act like the rest of the people. You know, you try to dress nice. You go to church or Sunday school. You do a few things you tried to conform, right? But it wasn't until I was 24 that the Spirit of God moved on me and created conviction, created a heart that desired God more than anything. And when, you know, I could give the mental assent like I did, but it was when God moved, I moved. <laughs> I moved to the place I need you, God. It's for me. And it was then at that point, I believe with all my heart, that's when it went from here, it went to here. Because you can't get saved without the Spirit of God. You can pray all you want, ask Jesus to do all... But if the Spirit of God's not working in your heart to bring that about, it doesn't happen. I mean, it just doesn't. And it's the Word of God, it's the faithful preacher who's preaching, and it's the Spirit moving on that Word's truth into your mind, into your heart, and He moves into you, and you get convicted. You see your sin, but you see the answer is Jesus Christ. You see who he is, what he's accomplished. That's enough to save you, and only that is able. But it was for you. And when I realized it was for me, I couldn't wait for the preacher to get done preaching, because back then you go forward, whatever. I believe I was saved, right in my seat. I believe it was right then I was saved. I just did what they went to, just like Paul. He didn't Need to be baptized, right? But he just did what they did. So I went forward, but I believe with all my heart, it was God that moved in my heart. And I stood up that day and I said, yes, I believe it. And it was then heart-saving faith. And let me just say something to you. My life has never been the same. I begin the process of putting off and putting on, and it's a process, and it's a battle. I understand that, but I've always known this: that God loved me so much, He gave his own life for me, and it's real now in my heart, not just my head, but it's in my heart. Let me ask you, is God moving on your heart this morning? That's a good sign. <laughs> That means he's there, and he wants from you to put it here and believe in that gospel of grace. Father, we love you. We thank you for loving us. God, I'm thankful that you were patient with me. You worked on me. You brought me to the point that I said, God, I need you. And your sacrifice, it was for me. And God, I stepped out by faith in that truth. And God, you've been good to me over these years. I praise your name. But it all started back there with a heart faith. And I pray that there's somebody here this morning, they acknowledge who Jesus Christ is, but if it's never touched their heart, I just pray that today they'd allow it to sink and go deep and just save them today. So that they can never, ever have to worry about their eternity or where they will spend eternity because they'll be going to heaven for sure in Jesus' name. We hope you received the blessing from today's broadcast. We would love to have you visit with us in person. For more information, please visit our website at gpnd.net or contact us by phone at 317-535-3512. You can watch us live and view past services on our website, Facebook, or YouTube channel. Until next broadcast, may God richly bless you as our prayer.